After reciting the Tashahud, Ta'awuz and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih V, Ayyadahullah Ta'ala bin Asrih Al-Aziz stated, that after concluding the accounts from the life of Hazrat Abu Bakr Siddiq anhu, I mentioned that this concluded the series of accounts related to the Badri companions. However, various aspects and details of some of the companions I had already mentioned came to light later on, and I mentioned that either I would relate them at another time, or they would be included once these sermons are published. Some people have been writing to me that they have greatly benefited by listening to these historical accounts and that these additional details should also be mentioned in the Friday sermons. As such, I deemed it appropriate to mention these over a few sermons so that people can have knowledge of these details through this and a greater number of people can listen to these. In any case, the first mention in this regard is that of Hazrat Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He was the paternal uncle of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and he was very dear to him, which is evident from the various sayings of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, as well as his reaction to the martyrdom of Hazrat Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. It is also possible that some aspects will briefly be repeated again. It is mentioned in one of the narrations that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, very much liked the name Hamza. Hazrat Jabir bin Abdullah relates that someone from among us had a son born in his house and he asked what to name the child. Upon this, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stated, that name him after Hamza bin Abdul Mutalib, which is my most favourite amongst all the names. Then with regards to the wives and children of Hazrat Hamza, it is written in Tabqatul Kubra that one of the marriages of Hazrat Hamza was to the daughter of Milla bin Malik, who belonged to the tribe of Aus. And through this marriage, Yala and Amir were born.
and based on the name of his son Yala, one of the titles of Hazrat Hamza was Abu Yala. And through his second marriage to Hazrat Khullah bin Taqas in Sariya, Hazrat Ammara was born, and based on her name, he chose his title of Abu Ammara. One of Hazrat Hamza's marriages was with Hazrat Salma bint Umas, who was the sister of Hazrat Asma bint Umas, and through her, a daughter by the name Hazrat Umama was born. This is the same Umama over whom Hazrat Ali, Hazrat Jafar, and Hazrat Zaid bin Harsa, may Allah be pleased with them all, disputed over. Each of them desired that Hazrat Umama would stay with them. However, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, decided in favour of Hazrat Jafar bin Abi Talib This is because the maternal aunt of Hazrat Umama, Hazrat Asma bin Umas was married to Hazrat Jafar It is also mentioned that Umara, Fazl, Zubair, Akil, and Muhammad were among the children of Hazrat Hamza's son, Yala. However, all of them passed away, and thus, upon the demise of Hazrat Hamza's children, he did not have any progeny that continued. The details of the dispute between Hazrat Ali, Hazrat Jafar, and Hazrat Zaid bin Harsa in relation to the daughter of Hazrat Hamza which was just mentioned earlier, have been mentioned in Bukhari in the following manner. It is said that Hazrat Bara bin Azib relates that when the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, intended to perform the Umrah in Zulkada, the people of Makkah refused to allow him to enter Makkah. In the end, he made an agreement with them that on the condition that they could come the following year to perform the Umrah and remain there for three days. When the pact was being written in the wording that these are the conditions which Muhammad, the Messenger of Allah, agrees to, the Meccan said that we do not accept this. If we accepted you as the Messenger of Allah, we would never have stopped you. Therefore instead write Muhammad bin Abdullah. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said that I am the Messenger of Allah and I am also Muhammad bin Abdullah. He then instructed Hazrat Ali to erase the words Messenger of Allah. But Hazrat Ali responded, that I shall never erase it. By Allah, I shall never erase your title. And so the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, took the paper which was being written on, and despite not knowing how to write properly, he wrote, These are the conditions which Muhammad bin Abdullah agrees to, that no one shall bring a weapon to Makkah except the swords which remain in their sheaths, and they shall not take anyone back with them from among the Meccans, even if they wish to accompany them. And no one from the companions shall be stopped if they wish to remain in Makkah. And so, in accordance with the treaty, when they entered Makkah the following year and the stipulated duration came to an end, the Quraysh went to Hazrat Ali anhu and said that tell your friend, i.e. the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, to now depart as the agreed time has now passed. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, then departed from there. Hazrat Hamza anhu's daughter, who was following him, said, O uncle, O uncle, Upon this, Hazrat Ali anhu went and took hold of her hand and said to Fatima, that take your uncle's daughter. 
She was then placed on the mount. And following this, Hazrat Ali, Hazrat Zaid and Hazrat Jafar began to dispute over the matter of her guardianship. Hazrat Ali anhu stated that I have brought her and she is the daughter of my uncle, whereas Hazrat Jafar said that she is the daughter of my uncle and her maternal aunt is my wife. Hazrat Zaid said that she is the daughter of my brother. Upon this, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, made his decision in the matter that she will remain with her maternal aunt and said that a maternal aunt holds the station of a mother. He said to Hazrat Ali that you are mine and I am yours and he said to Hazrat Jafar that you are similar to me in appearance and in nature. Then to Hazrat Zaid he said, you are our brother and friend. Hazrat Ali asked that will you not marry the daughter of Hazrat Hamza? And to this the Holy Prophet peace be upon him replied that she is the daughter of my foster brother and I am her uncle. These minor issues nowadays can be resolved through these incidents. At times there are cases in the Qazar wherein it is questioned as to why the custody is given to the maternal aunt or the maternal grandmother, and so through these accounts such matters have been resolved. Then in relation to Hazrat Hamza's acceptance of Islam, it is also mentioned in Rawdul Unuf that aside from Ibn Ishaq, others have added further details in relation to his acceptance of Islam. Hazrat Hamza anhu relates that when I was overtaken by anger, in other words, the entire incident as related by his bondwoman, which has been mentioned previously. And I had said in this state of anger that I follow the religion of Muhammad, peace be upon him. He says that, however, I later felt remorse that I had forsaken the religion of my forefathers and I spent the night doubting this great matter whereby I could not sleep a wink. I then went to the Kaaba and prayed fervently to Allah the Almighty that he may open my heart to the truth and dispel all my doubts. I had not even completed my prayers when the doubts had completely left me and my heart was filled with certainty. The following morning, I went to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and related the entire incident to him. Upon this, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, prayed that Allah the Almighty grants me steadfastness. Hazrat Ammar bin Abu Ammar relates, that Hazrat Hamza bin Abi Mutlib asked the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, to show what Hazrat Jibreel truly looked like. Upon this, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, replied that you do not have the capacity to see him. He asked that why not? And so the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said that if you so will, then sit down where you are. The narrator says that Hazrat Jibreel then appeared on the wooden part of the Kaaba where the idolaters would place their clothes whilst performing the circuits. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, then said, Now look up and see. When he looked up, he saw that the two feet of Hazrat Jibreel were like two green precious stones. He then fell unconscious. Zabarjad is a precious stone which is similar to an emerald. In Safar 2 Hijri, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, departed from Medina to Abwa, along with a group of his companions. And Hazrat Hamza anhu also had the opportunity to be a part of this. During this expedition, Hazrat Hamza anhu had the honour of carrying the flag of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him which was white. 
The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had appointed in his place Hazrat Abu Saad radiallahu ta'ala anhu as the governor of Medina. Or, according to another narration, he appointed Hazrat Saad bin Ubadah. No battle ensued in this expedition, and a peace treaty was agreed with Banu Zamra. This was the first expedition in which the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, personally took part. And another name of this expedition is Vaddan. In relation to this, Hazrat Mizza Bashir Ahmad Sahib anhu, has written in Sirat Khatam al Nabiyyin that divine permission of jihad by the sword was granted in the month of Safar during the second year of migration. Since immediate action was required to protect the Muslims from the bloody intentions and threatening schemes of the Quraysh, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, set out from Medina with the community of the Muhajireen in the name of Allah the Exalted. Prior to departure, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, appointed Saad bin Ubadah, the chief of the Khazraj, as the Amir of Medina in his absence. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, set out towards the southwest of Medina on the road to Mecca until he finally reached Waddam. The people of the Banu Zamra resided here, and this tribe was a branch of the Banu Kinana, and in this manner these people were the paternal cousins of the Quraysh. Upon reaching here, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, engaged in discussions with the chieftain of the Banu Zamra and settled a treaty by mutual agreement. The conditions of this treaty were that the Banu Zamra would maintain friendly relations with the Muslims and would not aid an enemy against the Muslims. Furthermore, when the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, called upon them in support of the Muslims, they would come immediately. On the other hand, on behalf of the Muslims, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, agreed that the Muslims would maintain friendly relations with the Banu Zamra and would aid them whenever it was required. This treaty was formally written and signed by both parties. After an absence of 15 days, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, returned. Another name for the Ghazwa of Baddan is also the Ghazwa of Abwa. And this is because the village of Abwa is closely situated to Baddan and this was the same place where the noble mother of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, passed away. Historians write that in this Ghazwa, along with the Banu Zamra, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was conscious of the Quraysh as well. This means that in actuality this campaign of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was to put down the threatening schemes of the Quraysh. Furthermore, its objective was to dispel the poisonous and threatening influence which the caravans of the Quraysh had created against the Muslims amongst the tribes of Arabia, and due to which the state of the Muslims was extremely vulnerable during these days. In any case, during this expedition, Hazrat Hamza was holding the flag of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. As Amizah Bashir Ahmad Sahib radiallahu further states, that after this, in Jamadi ula upon receiving news of the Quraysh of Makkah once again, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, set out from Medina with a company of the companions, which is said to comprise of 150 to 200 men, and appointed his foster brother, Abu Salama bin Abdul Asad, as the Amir in his absence. In this Ghazwa as well, Hazrat Hamza was holding the white flag of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. 
After making numerous rounds in this ghazwa, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, finally reached Ushera, which was situated close to the coast and the region of Yambu. And although a battle with the Quraysh did not take place, nevertheless, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, settled a treaty with the Banu Mudlij on terms as were agreed upon with the Banu Zamra and subsequently returned. The individual battle duels which took place during the Battle of Badr have already been mentioned in light of various ahadith. However, Hazrat Mizza Bashir Ahmed Sahib has also mentioned the details in the following manner. He writes, Now the armies had lined up before one another. However, at this time a strange spectacle of divine power manifested itself. The standing arrangement of both armies was such that the Muslim army appeared to be more rather double in its actual number in the eyes of the Quraysh. And due to this, the disbelievers were struck with awe. And on the other hand, the army of the Quraysh appeared less than in actual number in the eyes of the Muslims. Due to this, the Muslims were fortified with great confidence. The Quraysh attempted to discern the correct figure of the Muslim army and so that they could console such hearts which had begun to sink. For this purpose, the chieftains of the Quraysh dispatched Umar bin Wahab to ride his horse around the Muslim army, so as to gather its actual number and whether it was supported by any hidden reinforcements. Hence, Umar mounted his horse and circled the Muslims, but he witnessed such awe, determination and fearlessness in the face of death on the countenance of these Muslims that he returned immensely awe-stricken and addressed the Quraysh, saying, that I have not been able to spot any hidden reinforcements. But, O company of the Quraysh, I have witnessed that in the Muslim army it is not men who ride upon the saddles of these she-camels, rather death is seated upon them. Destruction is mounted upon the backs of the she-camels of Yasrib. When the Quraysh heard this news, a wave of anxiety rippled through their ranks. Suraka, who had come as their guarantor, was so awe-stricken that he fled upon his heels. And when people attempted to restrain him, he said that I see that which you do not. When Hakim bin Hizam heard the opinion of Umar, he frantically came to Utba bin Rabia and said, O Utba, after all, it is the retribution of Amr Hadrmi that you seek from Muhammad, peace be upon him, because he was your confederate. Would it not do if you were to pay the blood money to his ears and turn back along with the Quraysh? You shall be forever known by a good name. Upon this, Utba, who was frightened himself, could not ask for anything better, and he immediately said that, of course, I agree. And he then said that, after all, Hakim, these Muslims and we are relatives. Does it seem right for a brother to raise his sword against his brother and a father against his son? So go to Abul Hakam, i.e. Abu Jahl, and present this idea to him. And so Utba mounted his camel and began to convince people of his own accord that it is not correct to fight against relatives and that we should turn back and leave Muhammad peace be upon him to his devices and let him settle his matter with the tribes of Arabia himself and we shall see what happens and after all it is not such an easy task to fight these Muslims because even if you call me a coward, although I am not, however I see a people who are eager to purchase death. When the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, noticed Utbah from afar, he stated that if there is anyone from among the army of the Quraysh who possesses some nobility 
then it is certainly in the rider of that red camel. And if these people listen to his advice, it would do them good. However, when Hakim bin Hizam approached Abu Jahl and presented this proposal to him, could it be expected that this pharaoh of the people would be talked into such a thing? And so he instantly retorted, Well, well, now Utbah has begun to see his relatives before him. He then called upon Amir Hazrmi, the brother of Amr Hazrmi, and said, that, Have you heard what your ally Utbah says? Especially when the retribution of your brother is in our grips. The eyes of Amir began to gorge with blood in rage, and according to the Arab custom, he tore off his clothes becoming naked and began to shout, that, Woe to Amr, my brother is not being avenged. Woe to Amr, my brother is not being avenged. And so, this desert cry inflamed a fire of enmity in the hearts of the Quraysh, and the furnace of war began to burn in full force. The taunt given by Abu Jahl infuriated Utbah as well, and consumed by this rage, he took his brother Sheba and son Walid and proceeded ahead of the disbelieving army. And according to the ancient Arab custom, he called for individual combat. A few Ansar were about to advance, when the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, restrained them and said, Hamza, stand up, Ali, stand up, Ubaidah, stand up. All three of them were very close relatives of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and it was his desire that his own kith and kin should be the first to advance in the face of danger. On the other hand, upon seeing the Ansar, Utbah and his comrades cried out, that what do we know of you? Bring before us our equals. Hence, Hamza, Ali and Ubaidah stepped forward, and according to the Arab custom, each side identified itself, after which Ubaidah bin Muttalib confronted Walid, and Hamza confronted Utbah, and Ali confronted Sheba. Hamza and Ali put their adversaries to dust in merely two strikes. However, two or four strong blows were exchanged between Ubaidah and Walid. Eventually, both fell to the ground, sustaining heavy wounds at the hands of the other. At this, Hamza and Ali quickly advanced and brought an end to Walid and carried Ubaidah back to their camp. Ubaidah, however, was unable to recover from his injuries and passed away on the journey back from Badr. During the Battle of Badr, Hazrat Hamza anhu also killed Tuayma bin Adi, a chieftain of the Quraysh. There is a narration regarding an incident from the time of Badr regarding Hazrat Hamza anhu killing Hazrat Ali anhu's camels whilst he was intoxicated. This incident took place prior to the prohibition of alcohol. It is mentioned in detail in Bukhari as follows that Hazrat Ali bin Hussein, and there are various narrators to this tradition, and he relates from his father Hazrat Hussein bin Ali anhu that Hazrat Ali bin Abi Talib anhu stated that whilst alongside the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, on the occasion of the Battle of Badr, I received a young camel as the spoils of war, and another camel was granted to me by the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. One day I took them to the home of an Ansari companion and tied them with the intention of placing some Azkhar grass upon their backs and would then sell it. Azkhar is a type of grass that is used by people such as goldsmiths 
and the grass itself is very fragrant. He further states that a goldsmith from the Banu Kanka was also accompanying me, and my intention was to use the income for the Valima ceremony after my marriage, which was going to take place with Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha. Hamza bin Abdul Muttalib radiallahu ta'ala anhu was drinking alcohol in that same Ansari companion's house, and there was also a singer with them. And when she sang, O oh Hamza, get up and go towards the fat young camels, Hazrat Hamza was overcome with passion and took his sword and sliced the humps of both camels, gutted their stomachs and took out their livers. And Ibn Juraj relates that I asked Ibn Shahab whether he also cut their humps, to which he replied that he cut both of their humps and took them with him. Ibn Shahab relates that Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu stated that it pained me a great deal to see this. And so I went to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And at the time, Zad bin Harsa radiallahu ta'ala anhu was also with him. I informed the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, of this incident, upon which he went to Hazrat Hamza, accompanied by Zad and myself. When the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, reached Hamza and expressed his displeasure, Hazrat Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu looked up and in his state of intoxication, he said even to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that you are all the servants of my forefathers. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, turned around and left, and this incident took place before the prohibition of alcohol. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stated that whilst in this state it was best not to speak with him. Later, however, it is seen that when alcohol was prohibited, these people did not go anywhere near it. Thus, this was the standard to which the companions adhered to the commandments of Allah the Almighty, in that they immediately broke their drinking vessels, and they did not say that they would wean away from it slowly, as said by people today. First, they become addicted to such substances, which is already wrong and prohibited in Islam, and then they say that they will slowly rid themselves of this habit, and they say that they should be given time. In any case, this was an incident that took place, and afterwards his standards of sacrifice continued to elevate. Certainly, Hazrat Hamza anhu would have been greatly embarrassed for what he said as well. After the Battle of Badr, during the expedition towards the Banu Kanka, Hazrat Hamza anhu was also at the forefront in this as well. Hazrat Hamza anhu also held the white flag of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, in this expedition as well. And this has been explained in detail by Hazrat Mizza Bashir Ahmed Sahib radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He writes that when the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, migrated from Makkah and arrived in Medina, there were three tribes among the Jews which inhabited Medina at the time. Their names were the Banu Kanka, Banu Nazid, and Banu Qureza. And as soon as the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, came to Medina, he settled treaties of peace and security with these tribes and laid the foundation for peaceful and harmonious cohabitation. By virtue of agreement, all parties were responsible for maintaining peace and security in Medina. And if a foreign enemy was to attack Medina, then everyone was collectively responsible for its defence. In the beginning, the Jews conformed to the treaty and at least openly did not create conflict with the Muslims. However, when they began to notice that the Muslims were continuing to gain strength in Medina, they began to change their attitude and firmly resolved to bring an end to this growing power of the Muslims. 
To this end, they began to employ all sorts of lawful and unlawful schemes, so much so that they did not even hold back from an attempt to create rift amongst the Muslims and thus instigate a civil war. As such, there is a narration that on one occasion, a large group of people from the tribes of Aus and Khazraj were sitting together and conversing with love and harmony when a mischievous Jew reached this gathering and began to mention the Battle of Was. This was the horrific war which took place between these two tribes a few years prior to the migration and in which many people from among the Aus and Khazraj were slain at the hands of one another. As soon as this war was mentioned, Memories of the past were refreshed and scenes of ancient enmity began to run before the eyes of various emotional people. The result was that from satirical remarks, taunt and slander, the matter escalated to such an extent that both parties found themselves at daggers drawn in the very same gathering. Thank God, however, that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was notified in due time and he immediately arrived at the scene with the community of the Muhajireen and calmed both parties down and rebuked them, saying that do you follow a way of ignorance while I am amongst you? You do not value the favour of God that through Islam he has made you brothers. The Ansar were so deeply moved by this that their eyes began to flow with tears and they began to embrace one another whilst repenting for their action. When the Battle of Badr had taken place and Allah the Exalted in His grace granted a convincing victory to the Muslims, and despite there being few and without means over a very fierce army of the Quraysh and the prominent leaders of Mecca were mixed to dust, the Jews of Medina went up in flames of jealousy. They began to openly hurl stinging comments at the Muslims and publicly asserted in gatherings that so what if you have defeated the army of the Quraysh? Let Muhammad, peace be upon him, fight us and we shall demonstrate how wars are fought. This situation escalated to such an extent that in one gathering they even uttered such words in the very presence of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. As such, there is a narration that after the Battle of Badr, when the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, returned to Medina, one day he gathered the Jews and admonished them, and whilst presenting his claim, invited them to Islam. The chieftains among the Jews responded to this peaceful and sympathetic address of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, in the following words, that, O Muhammad, peace be upon him, it seems that you have perhaps become arrogant after killing a few Quraysh. Those people were inexperienced in the art of war. But if you were to fight us, you would come to know the real likes of warriors. The Jews did not rest upon a mere threat. Rather, it seems as if they even began to hatch conspiracies to assassinate the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. There is a narration that in those days, when a faithful companion by the name of Talha bin Bara was about to pass away, he stated that if I die at night, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, should not be notified about my funeral prayer, lest a misfortune befalls the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, at the hands of the Jews on my account. Therefore, after the Battle of Badr, the Jews openly began to fuel mischief. And among the Jews of Medina, since the Banu Kanga were the most powerful and bold, it was they who first began to breach the treaty. As such, historians write, that among the Jews of Medina, the Banu Kanga were the first to break the treaty which had been settled between them and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And after Badr, they began to rebel fiercely and openly expressed their rancor and malice and broke their treaty and agreement. However, despite such events, under the guidance of their master, the Muslims demonstrated patience in every way and did not allow themselves to take the lead in any respect. <laughs> 
It is narrated in a hadith that after the treaty which had been settled with the Jews, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would even take special care to protect their sentiments. On one occasion, an argument broke out between a Muslim and a Jew, and the Jew asserted the superiority of Moses above all other prophets. The companion was angered by this, and he dealt somewhat harshly with that person, replying that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was the most superior of all the messengers. When the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was informed of this, he was displeased and rebuked the companion, saying it is not your task to go about speaking of the superiority of God's messengers in comparison to one another. Then the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, mentioned a partial superiority of Moses and consoled the Jew. However, despite this loving conduct of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, the Jews continued to escalate in their mischief. Eventually, it was the Jews who created a cause for war and their heartfelt animosity could not be tamed. What happened to occur was that a Muslim lady went to the shop of a Jew in the market in order to purchase some goods. And a few evil Jews who were then sitting at the shop began to harass her in a most mischievous manner and even the shopkeeper himself committed the evil deed that while the lady was unaware, he attached the lower corner of her dress to the mantle on her back with a thorn or something of that sort. As a result, when the lady stood up to leave upon due to their rude behaviour, the lower part of her body became exposed, at which the Jewish shopkeeper and his accomplices burst out in laughter. Outraged, the Muslim lady screamed and appealed for help, and it so happened that a Muslim was present nearby. He dashed to the scene, and in a mutual altercation, the Jewish shopkeeper was killed. Upon this, the Muslim was showered with swords from all directions, and this remarkably indignant Muslim was put to death. When the Muslims were informed of this event, in national indignation, their eyes gorged with blood in rage. On the other hand, the Jews who desired to make this incident an excuse to fight congregated in the form of a crowd, and a state of riot broke out. When the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was informed of this, he gathered the chieftains of the Banu Kanka and explained that such behaviour was not appropriate and that they should refrain from such mischief and fear God. Instead of expressing disappointment and remorse, they responded with very refractory answers and repeated the earlier threat that do not become arrogant over your victory at Badr. When you are to fight us, you shall come to know the real like of warriors. And so, left with no other choice, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, set out towards the fortresses of the Banu Kanka with a force of companions. Now this was the last opportunity for them to express remorse over their actions, but instead they stood ready for war. Therefore war was declared, and the forces of Islam and Judaism came forth to battle one another. And according to the custom of that era, a method of warfare was that one party would secure themselves within their fortresses and wait, and the opposing force would besiege the fortress, and whenever an opportunity presented itself now and then, attacks would be launched against one another. This would continue until the surrounding army would either lose hope in capturing the fortress and lift the siege, and this would be considered a victory to the ones besieged, or being unable to muster the strength to fend off the onslaught, the besieged force would open the gates of their fortress and hand themselves over to the victors. On this occasion, the Banu Kanka employed the same tactic and closed themselves within their own fortresses. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, besieged them and this siege continued for 15 days without fail. Finally, when all the strength and arrogance of the Banu Kanka had been shattered, 
they opened the gates of their fortresses on the condition that though their wealth would belong to the Muslims, their lives and families would be spared. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, accepted this condition, even though, according to the Mosaic law, all of these people were liable to be put to death. And according to the initial agreement, the judgment of the Mosaic law should have been administered to them. However, since this was the first crime committed by this nation, as a first course of action, the merciful and forgiving disposition of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, could never be inclined towards an extreme punishment, which should only be imposed as a final remedy. However, on the other hand, allowing such a treacherous and rebellious tribe to remain in Medina was no less than nurturing a snake in the grass, especially when a group of hypocrites from among the Aws and Khazraj were already present within Medina. And from the exterior as well, the opposition of the whole of Arabia had greatly distressed the Muslims. In such circumstances, the only judgment which the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, could pass was for the Bani Kanka to leave Medina. In comparison to their crime, and taking into account the circumstances of that era, this was a very mild punishment. Furthermore, the purpose of this punishment was the security of Medina. Nonetheless, for the nomadic tribes of Arabia, it was nothing out of the ordinary to move from one place to another, especially when a tribe did not own any properties in the form of land and orchards, and the Banu Kanka had none. The entire tribe was given the opportunity to leave one place and settle somewhere else with great peace and security. As such, the Banu Kanka very peacefully left Medina and settled towards Syria. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, assigned the task of overseeing necessary arrangements, etc., associated with their departure to a companion named Ubadah bin Samit, who was from among their confederates. Ubadah bin Samit escorted the Banu Kanka for a few manzils, and after safely sending them off, he returned. And the spoils which were attained by the Muslims consisted only of weaponry and also instruments of their profession, which was that of goldsmith. With regards to the tribe of Banu Kanka, some narrations state that after they opened their gates and surrendered themselves to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he intended to kill the men who took part in the battle because of their treachery and rebellion. And it was Abdullah bin Ubay bin Sulul, the chief of the hypocrites, who persuaded the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, to forego his intention. However, there is no evidence to prove such assertions. The historians do not consider such narrations reliable. Furthermore, in other narrations it is clearly recorded that Banu Kanka opened their gates on the very condition that they and their families would be spared. It is therefore impossible that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would take a different approach and try to kill them after having accepted this condition. Therefore, such assertions are utterly false. Nonetheless, the fact that the people of Banu Kanka themselves pleaded to be spared proves that they understood that they were deserving of the punishment of death. However, they sought mercy from the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And after being promised forgiveness, they opened their doors so that their lives would be spared. And although the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, 
as an embodiment of mercy, forgave them. But in the sight of God Almighty, they were not worthy of being left to live in this world due to their crimes and misconduct. Thus, according to narrations, within a year of settling into their new home after being exiled, they were ravaged with an epidemic that killed every member of their tribe. The Battle of Banu Kanka took place in Zulhijjah in the second Hijri and Hazrat Hamza was a flag bearer during this battle. Hazrat Hamza was martyred during the Battle of Ahad and this has been previously mentioned as well. And news of this incident had already been given to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, by Allah the Almighty through divine revelation. Hazrat Anas bin Malik narrates that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stated that I saw in a dream that I was pursuing a cow and the tip of my sword was broken. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, further stated that from this dream I inferred that I would kill the cow of the people. In other words, their commander, and with regards to the tip of the sword, I inferred this to be someone from among my family. Subsequently, Hazrat Hamza radiallahu was martyred, and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, killed Talha, who was one of the commanders of the idolaters. Hazrat Hamza radiallahu face was mutilated, and his nose, ears were cut off, and his stomach was cut open. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was extremely pained upon witnessing his condition and stated that if Allah grants me victory over the Quraysh, then I shall mutilate 30 of their men. And according to another narration, he stated that I shall mutilate 70 of their men. Upon this, the following verse of the Holy Quran was revealed. That is, and if you desire to punish the oppressors, then punish them to the extent to which you have been wronged. But if you show patience, then surely that is best for those who are patient. Upon this, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stated that they shall remain patient, and he gave an offering instead to atone for the oath he had taken. Hazrat ibn Abbas relates that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stated, that last night when I entered paradise, in other words, he was shown this in a vision, and I saw that Jafar was ascending with the angels and Hamza was resting against a throne. Hazrat Anas narrates that on the day of Ahad, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, walked past Hazrat Hamza and his nose and ears had been cut off. Upon this, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stated, if I were not to take into account the grief and sorrow of Safiya, I would have left him in this state to the point that Allah would have lifted his body through the stomachs of the birds and vultures. Thereafter, his body was wrapped in a sheet. Upon the martyrdom of Hazrat Hamza radiallahu and witnessing his body, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was extremely emotional, but showed great patience. He also advised Hazrat Hamza radiallahu sister, who was his paternal aunt, to demonstrate patience. And this has been mentioned previously as well. 
Then there is the incident of stopping the women of the Ansar from wailing and lamenting. And this was mentioned by Hazrat Khalifatul Masih the fourth Rahimahullah in one of his speeches at Jalsa Salana prior to his Khilafat. And this illustrates the lofty morals of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Although this incident has been briefly mentioned previously in the light of various ahadiths, however, it would be appropriate to mention this particular reference as well. Hazrat Khalifatul Masih the fourth Rahimahullah says, that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him's love for Hazrat Hamza can be ascertained through the words which the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, spoke in the evening of the day of Ahud while standing beside the body of Hazrat Hamza. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stated, O Hamza, may Allah never allow me to experience the anger and pain which I felt upon standing where you have been martyred. At that time, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon his paternal aunt, i.e. Hazrat Hamza's sister, Hazrat Safiya, had also learnt of this news and reached there. Fearing that she perhaps would not be able to control her emotions, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, did not allow her to see Hazrat Hamza's body. However, when she promised that she would show patience, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, permitted her. In any case, she stood at the spot where Hazrat Hamza had been martyred and saw that her beloved brother, who was like a courageous lion of God and the lion of his messenger, peace be upon him, was lying in a state whereby the wicked people had ripped open his chest and taken his liver out, and they had also severely mutilated his face. Though she was overcome with extreme grief and sorrow, however, she kept to her promise and continued to demonstrate patience. She did not even utter a single word of impatience, but tears rolled down. She recited Inna Lillah, and whilst crying, she sat down at that very spot. Her tears continued to stream down, and yet she did not utter a word. When Hazrat Safiya's tears would stop, so too would the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And just as Hazrat Safiya's eyes would begin to shed tears again, so too would the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. They remained in this state for several minutes, and apart from silently shedding their tears, there was no other expression of grief or sorrow by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and his family. Indeed, this was the blessed example of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. When the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, entered Medina, the whole of Medina was echoing with sounds of wailing and lamenting upon the grief of their loved ones who had been martyred in Ahad. When the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, heard this, he said in a very heartfelt manner that there is no one to cry for Hamza. After all, how could there be anyone to cry for Hamza? For the family of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, were reminded day and night to always exhibit patience. When some of the Ansar heard these heartfelt words of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, they immediately stood up and ran towards their homes and instructed their women to abandon their mourning and only mourn for Hamza alone. Within moments, the crying and lamentations for Hamza's death could be heard and every house was mourning for Hamza. Further intensifying their lamentations and weeping, the women of the Ansar gathered around the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Upon hearing the noise, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, looked outside and saw a crowd of women from among the Ansar. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, prayed for them and thanked them for their sympathies, however stated that it was not permissible to lament and wail over the dead. Hence, from that day on, the practice of lamenting and wailing was abandoned. May we sacrifice our lives at the feet of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. How great a teacher he was in imparting moral excellences who descended from the spiritual heavens to teach us faith. He possessed such wisdom and insight and was able to delve deep into the human nature. If the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had prohibited the women from lamenting and wailing over their loved ones who had been martyred, then the instruction may have been hard for them to bear. However, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, did this in such a wise manner by first directing their lamentation for his uncle Hamza and then prohibited them from such a practice by stopping them from doing it over his own uncle. 
Allah has full knowledge of who he is going to select and he chose such an excellent guide for his creation who was well aware of the subtleties and finite details of the human nature and would take into consideration the sentiments of his followers to such an extent. When one reflects upon these characteristics of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, one's heart is filled with passion and love for him and naturally proclaims from the core of their hearts that our lives, wealth, progeny are ready to be sacrificed at your feet. O Messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, countless salutations of blessings and peace be upon you. O ye whose beauty and kindness is like a never-ending ocean. O Messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, countless salutations of blessings and peace be upon you. I swear by the God who is one and to whom belong the entire heavens and the earth that there is no one like you amongst his creation in the entire heavens and the earth. In this account of Hazrat Hamza anhu, the noble character of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was also mentioned. And the accounts of Hazrat Hamza end here, and I will mention some further accounts of other companions in the future. The new year is starting the day after tomorrow, inshallah. Pray that may Allah the Almighty bestow upon us all the blessings of the new year. May this new year be a means of blessings for the Jamaat in every respect. And may Allah the Almighty cause the ploys of the enemy to be completely ruined. And may Allah the Almighty enable the Jamaats all over the world to fulfill the purpose of their creation even more than before. Also pray for the world in general, that may Allah the Almighty save them from conflict and warfare. The situation of the world is becoming increasingly perilous and it is on the verge of utter destruction. Everyone is only concerned about their own interests. May Allah the Almighty have mercy. Also pray for your brothers who are facing oppression. May Allah the Almighty protect the Jamaat Ahmadiyya in the coming year from every kind of injustice and cruelty.